0: Rhythms Podcast. I'm Brian Wise, editor of the magazine and I'll shortly be joined by Stuart Coop. He's a senior contributing editor to Rhythms, also a renowned author in his own right and a broadcaster based in Sydney. And later we'll be joined by Liz Stringer who's just released her seventh album, believe it or not. It's titled First Time Really Feeling, released on the Milk Records label. Liz is currently based in Melbourne but she usually spends her time between Canada and Australia and she recently was able to do a Couple of gigs to launch the album in Melbourne. She'll tell us all about that and about the album first. Stuart and I are going to talk about a couple of other things involving music, including my favourite TV crime series at the moment, Bosch. So why don't we have a chat to Stuart and then we'll be joined by Liz Stringer. Can we start talking, Stuart, about my one of my favourite TV shows? I know you're a bit of a crime buff, and I just sat down on the weekend and watched the latest series of Bosch with Titus Welliver starring. Now, have you caught up with that?
1: No, I haven't, but I'm
0: I'm intrigued to hear your what I presume is a recommendation. Is that the case? Highly recommended. I think it's one of the best crime series ever on TV. I I love it. And the other thing is, of course, Bosch is a he's a bit of a um a jazz buff, so you hear his jazz music selections throughout the series and not only that you get to see his rather um expensive hi-fi system in a house that overlooks los angeles in in the from the hollywood hills and uh he has this amazing house um there's a story behind how he got to be able to afford that but it's just brilliantly written uh, great characters terrific story and uh, I just I just watched the entire final series in two nights
1: I, I'm wondering whether um, the uh, the opulence of Bosch's home reflects the um, the uh, financial income these days of, of Michael Connolly the uh, the creator of Bosch and uh, I suspect he's done very 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 well
0: out of that series of books well he has and you know I was, I was going to say, How can I put this? The TV series is way better than the book. I can tell you that, the books.
1: Speaking of television, uh, because of a project I'm working on, which I won't elaborate at the moment, but uh, I've been going back and watching uh, the Blue Murder TV series, which Mm. is all set around... Crime, corruption, the police force—Roger um, Rogerson, Nettie Smith, uh, Sally Ann Huckstep and so forth—in uh, in Sydney in the in the late seventies and into the uh, the nineteen eighties, which is. Uh, which has been fascinating to watch. I mean, it was actually banned in New South Wales for a very, very long time. It came out in um, in nineteen ninety five uh, and couldn't be screened in New South Wales for a very long time because of very co- of various court um matters that were that were on. But uh, in terms of crime on television, you know, it stands up um extremely well for something that was made
0: like twenty five years ago. So where can we see that? I know Bosch is on SBS On Demand, which is terrific.
1: Uh, look, I'm one of those. Um, is Blue Murder on Netflix? I'm, look, I'm one of these. You know, when you describe yourself uh, these days, Brian, as someone who still watches DVDs, it's a bit like someone who you know, people look at you like, have you still got an eight-track, you know, machine? Um, so I'm kind of old-fashioned. I, I, I still have a, a DVD player, and it's attached to the television, and I watched it that way. Uh, but I suspect I know that Underbelly, which I've also been looking at for similar reasons, uh, is uh, is streaming on stan uh so blue murder may be on one of the streaming services but otherwise yes you just uh you have to resort to this old-fashioned technology called the uh the dvd all right it it, uh, it came along after the vhs brian in case you've forgotten sure you forgot sure you haven't got a beta so, player yeah. there not quite that uh you know not going back that far brian. Mac. <laughs> hey, yep. i mean people do do um do look at you when you say that you're watching. DVD is like you—you you come from another planet, and what what sort of what sort of world do you live in? But anyhow, we digress. Hey, we're going what to have we been listening some, to?
0: We are going to talk about some books, music books. Um, I wanted to ask you about the book *Get Tuss*, which is the inside story of Fleetwood Mac's most anticipated album, according to the subtitle, by Ken Kaye and Herman Hernan wrote Stuart. There's a lot of dialogue in the book or dialogue that's been recreated. How do you feel about that when writers sort of recreate this dialogue? They couldn't possibly remember every word verbatim.
1: No, look, they they couldn't. Uh, you know, I, I loved a lot of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the only advantage they've got, of course, is that they were both actually there during the recording of Tusk, so it's a little bit better than fiction writers who who try and recreate the uh, the the conversations that, that, that they never heard in the first place. So, look, I, I think that um, Calais or and, and Rojas, however you pronounce their their names, uh, because they were there for pretty much every second of the recording of Tusk. Uh, look, I t- I tend to trust their. Their recreations of conversations and what happened in the studio, uh, you know, and think that they're probably reasonably mm-hmm. accurate. Uh, I, I really, I, I like this book a lot, uh, and I think if I was more into studio technology and the recording process, uh, as well as Tusk and Fleetwood Mac. Uh, I think I'd I'd be completely enraptured with it. As it was I sort of I probably closely read half of it Brian and uh and skipped the other half which was very detailed um information about how they got certain effects, how they did certain guitar solos, you know, overdubbing what desks they were using and and all of that that technical side which I'm sure lots and lots of um of people would find totally totally fascinating but uh as someone who doesn't understand that stuff it's sort of you know it, it, it didn't mean a lot to me. But the, the interaction between the, the the Fleetwood Mac members, uh, you know, it was interesting to, to realize, you know, how controlling and domineering Lindsay Buckingham was, um, you know, how insecure Stevie Nicks was. It look, it's not a sensational book. It it's just a, a, a nicely crafted, fairly long. I think it runs to about 350 pages. Uh look at the recording of of an album that was um not exactly well received at the time, but has been served well by the uh, by the passing of time.
0: I saw Fleetwood Mac some years ago here before that, not the uh, Neil Finn era, the, when Lindsay Buckingham was with them. And for some reason, I took an instant dislike to his stage performance persona. I don't know why. It just seemed like a bit of a show-off, should I say. But nevertheless, that, that nothing to do with his guitar playing or singing. But but I wanted to ask you about some fiction books written by music writers you, that you were going to talk about.
1: Yes, uh, it seems to be the thing to do at the moment. Uh, Brian, I don't know whether you're planning a, a novel about your, your experiences uh, in in the music industry and, uh, and your travels, but uh, certainly... Nothing to tell. Well, certainly, I, I, I've read and I'm reading three that are around at the moment. Um, first off, uh, a month or two ago, I I did read Driving Steve Fracasso, which is uh, Australian music writer Barry Devola's uh, novel, and uh, I think we're hoping to have Barry on this podcast uh, pretty soon. Uh, look, it, it, and I I really enjoyed that book. I I, di- I did provide a cover blurb for it, saying that it's uh, it reads as great as the fifth. Rep- Fifth replacements album sounds, and it's uh, it combines um, Barry DeVola's, uh rock nerdism. I mean, he clearly you know loves. High Fidelity and, and Nick Hornby and that approach to things. And, and Barry DeVola is also a very, very good travel writer. So he's he's combined both of those things into this this novel, which is not set in Australia. There's very fleeting references to Australia. It's principally set in uh, in New York for about half of it, and the rest of it is a, a road trip from Austin, Texas, through New Orleans and, and up to New York City. Look, I, I found it really pacey, delightfully nerdy, you know, with its references to rock and roll and Pop culture and um, and very very readable uh, and at the moment I'm I'm reading a book called Loudmouth which is. Robert Duncan, who was one of the the founding editors of Cream Magazine in Detroit, and uh, and Loudmouth is uh, it's 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 described as a novel. It reads a little bit more like a, a memoir. blurbed on the front by Craig Finn from the Hold Steady. And look, I'm really enjoying it, but uh, not not a huge amount of rock and roll yet. But I'm I'm halfway through it. It does start with a a terrific scene, which. I don't know whether it's true, but I hope it is of uh, of Duncan and a, a thinly disguised Peter Lornair. And Bruce Springsteen uh, driving around Cleveland just after Springsteen had been on the cover of Time and Newsweek uh, and was in Cleveland for a show. I don't know whether this car trip ever happened, but um, I hope it, it actually did. And then I, I've got on a pile which I've had for just a little while. Nick Kent, who I'm a huge fan of, I loved his book The Dark Stuff, uh, which collected a lot of his writing from New Musical Express and and from the years later. Uh, you know, Nick Kent, of course, you know, was one of the the big writers. As at NME in the 70s along with Tony Parsons and Julie Burchill and uh, Charles Sharp Murray uh, and a bunch of others whose names I'm just quickly forgetting uh, but Nick Kent has written his first novel um, which is called The Unstable Boy and it appears to be a book about uh, a band that were big in England in 1968 and then they decided to reform in uh, 2016 so um, and, and interestingly given that we started talking about Bosch one of the key characters in this is uh, what is described as best-selling crime writer Michael Martindale and he gets involved in this caper because a bit like Ian Rankin and probably uh, Michael Connolly, they have a love for, cont- you know, for old music, for for jazz or in the case of Rankin, a lot of rock and roll. And apparently this crime writer, Michael Martindale, name-checked The Unstable Boys and the rather unstable original lead singer of that band decides to come and find him. It looks like it might be fun, so I'm looking forward to it.
0: Just let me mention a couple of things I've been reading, other things I've been reading, one of which is The Mark Rebo book unstrung which is not really a memoir some of the chapters are about people with whom he's worked some of them are his thoughts are his thoughts on the music industry and some of them are film scripts screenplays that he would like to see made into films alternative and some of them are just short stories some of them are weird as well and uh, way out west in newport in uh which used to be in williamstown down here put produced a beautiful hardcover book celebrating 20 years of their uh, roots music club and at that stage hey stuart why don't we let liz stringer in, enter the room because she's probably she might have even played there how about that
1: let's do that let's-
0: hi liz Hello. Hi. Oh, Liz, how are you going? Good. How's it going? It's Brian here and Stuart. Hi, Brian. Stuart Coop over there. He's in Sydney. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Liz. How are you doing? Good, good. Whereabouts are you, Liz?
2: I'm in Melbourne at home. Yep. Yeah.
0: Hey, you, you've done a couple of the gigs over the weekend. How did they go?
2: Amazing. Yeah, they were really, really good. It was so good to play finally.
0: <laughs> tell, tell us about where did you play them? You, yeah, they were in Melbourne at the um at the old croxton that when i say the old croxton the old the croxton hotel wasn't it
2: yeah at the croxton yeah, yeah yeah so we did friday and saturday and um yeah it was, it was i'd actually never been in there before weirdly um but yeah i loved it it was great
0: it's a quite a big room isn't it
2: it is and that because it was it was reduced capacity so we had like 400 both nights and um it was, I mean, I can easily see how they fit a thousand people in there. It still felt great. You know, 400 felt great, but it's, um, yeah, it is a big, it's a big space.
0: Hey, um, I'll, I'll invite Stuart to ask some questions when he, whenever he wants to, but I want to, I was just telling him about this book that The Way Out West Club, uh, Roots Music Club has put out a hardcover book about their, celebrating their 20 years and, it, boy, it's an incredible production. And I was just thinking how important venues like this, are to musicians. They started off in Williamstown at the RSL there, and that closed down, and they moved to Newport. But little venues like that, and people, you know, the Caravan Music Club, and I imagine there are a number in Sydney as well, have been really important to artists such as yourself over the years, haven't they?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's. I mean, I'm always. I'm always astonished when venues last longer than a couple of years. To be honest, like it's. <laughs> yes. It's really not easy. Um, and whether they're really community based or whether they're more of a kind of a, you know, professional outfit, I think it's, it just requires a lot of work. So yeah, I'm, eternally grateful to people that have the energy and the want to do it yeah
1: Liz I was going to um to ask you because we have just entered in Sydney what feels like is going to be an extended lockdown but when you first started talking about playing at the weekend I could sense a, a palpable sense of excitement in your voice <laughs> I mean how, how 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 tough has it been you know for an artist like yourself who has got a, a fantastic new record but just to not be able to get out and um, and play live
2: yeah well so, I mean sorry first firstly I'm Really sorry that Sydney's going through this it's I, 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 obviously I'm I know everyone in Melbourne knows how that feels and it's it's hard particularly when it's at the beginning and it, it's not yet clear kind of how long it's going to be so yeah I'm sorry that you're all in that position up there um and yeah I mean to be honest in some ways I, I got quite a lot out of last year because yeah I do I mean I do tour a lot I was living in Canada essentially and doing a lot of traveling and um I it had never occurred to me to have any time off, and you know. Also, I guess you know, you sort of, I you know, I'm an artist that for a long time has been just really working gig to gig. I, you know, I don't sort of have massive tours and then go home and put my feet up for six months. You know, so it was it was a kind of a strange circuit breaker, but not all negative because I I just got to fill up the tank a bit and um, reassess what it is that I. Really want to do and how I want to do it, you know, because I think when you're on the wheel, you don't have time to think. Really, you just—it's just, you know, it's just kind of head down, bum bum up for a lot of people that I know. And and then all, you know, all of us suddenly found ourselves at home in one place for an extended period, which is very unusual. And um, I, I, at first, really freaked me out. But then I, you know, for some reason, I I was able to have a, a very um, philosophical view. I think because I realised pretty early on how lucky I was as an individual, as far as you know my own situation and looking at the rest of the world and even you know, a lot of people in this city that that aren't as lucky. And um, so yeah, it was a, it was a bizarre but um, definitely doable. And then, sorry, this is a very long answer to your question, but then right at the, like, I do, when we were we had to postpone these shows because they were going to happen in June, um, I didn't actually put off the record's release because of the pandemic, so it was always going to come out this April. Um, but, yeah, I, that was a moment where I, I felt really panicked um, when we couldn't do any of the album shows when they were supposed to happen. So to have two, and, you know, the two sort of home games under the belt is really important to me and um, feels extra special, Yeah
1: was it, was it a good time for writing or was was it really hard to get motivated to to sit down and write songs or or conversely because you had such a lot of time with not much else to do um did you find that you wrote and uh, and if you did write did you write differently because of the circumstances
2: i got straight into it as soon as i knew that it was going to be home time for a bit so i i learned how to record properly i had like a little sort of entry level interface and was working on garage band and and i had you know, I had all these ideas in my phone and um, songs that I'd kind of half finished over the years. And so I, I, I put them all together and I think there was a list of about 100 songs. And I was like, I'm going to do a song a day, <laughs> like record a song a day. And that, that lasted for about eight days. Um, and then after that i started getting really into production and like bought a bought a better interface and a much better computer and a, and a better daw and i started really getting into full arrangements of songs because i mean I, you know I, I play a fair few instruments except for drums so logic has an amazing drummer program so I, I really got into it and i think i think i probably knocked off at least 35 or 40 of those songs and yeah i i i really got into it which was great. And, you know, also I, I have never had time to sit down and kind of learn how to, or the focus, cause I move around so much to learn how to, you know, use, use, um, recording software, for example. And I, I learned how to do it and just like chipped away, spent hours and hours and hours in lockdown, just making these kind of full, full demos of songs. And, uh, so yeah, I found it an incredibly creative time and I didn't, I, yeah, I wrote I wrote kind of disco songs. I wrote like full full balls of the wall rock and roll songs. I wrote really folky stuff. I wrote very different stuff and um, just for fun, you know, because why why not? Like for no reason, just because I you know I'm into a lot of different music and and just wanted to try it out. So yeah, I, I took full advantage of the time. Yeah.
0: One of the benefits as a as a music fan of the whole thing has been the fact that there have been so many artists who've released material through Bandcamp, you know, people that you'd never have thought put their material on Bandcamp and released albums for maybe a limited amount of time or whatever, or other material you couldn't get previously. And I don't think mm. I've spent so much money on music as I have in the past year, Liz.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I think people... I think, you know, it was a positive time for the arts because I think people realised what life is like without access to art and um, began to maybe, you know, have put in front of them a bit more blatantly um, what it is that artists need to survive, which is, you know, making a living from their art. And as musicians, um, that's obviously those, those sands have shifted a lot over the last 10 years. And uh, so I think people... I know that I felt as a punter like a, a kind of renewed sense of really wanting to support um artists and I and I know a lot of my fans were uh, amazing and really started buying um stuff that they may have only been streaming before and um you know buying merch and and coming to online shows that I sold tickets to and so yeah I think in that way you know you don't know what you've got till it's gone and uh are spoiled in Melbourne particularly I guess because of you know you can literally go to dozens of gigs a weekend if you if you're up for it, you know, and that was suddenly taken away. And I think people realised, wow, I get to go and see all these great bands potentially for free in a front bar somewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, now I don't. So how, how do I, and you know, I think in general, I, I you know, I think a, a situation like the pandemic tends to bring out the, the, the best and in some cases the worst in people. And there was certainly a, a, a massive kind of community coming together that i felt a lot of people started to look around them and and see who it was that needed support and i think that you know i think that what you're talking about Brian is probably a bit of a byproduct of that too of going like i'm a music lover i enjoy music it brings my life joy and it's important to me to to support the people that make that happen
1: did the novelty of streaming concerts wear off Fairly quickly, sitting in front of a computer screen.
2: Uh, I yeah I <laughs> I actually we did two two shows <laughs> two kind of ticketed shows that I did from my bedroom. My brother engineered um, and I uh, we, we streamed it on YouTube and it was actually really fun. It was um, it was way more of a sense of community than I thought it would feel like doing it. But I mean mm-hmm. you know and the the weekend. The weekend being back in a room full of people, again, really, really drove home. Like there's just no, there's no replacement for it, really. I think that, I think that artists in general did an amazing job uh, and adapted very quickly to um, still, you know, connect with people during all of the isolation phase and stuff. But I, yeah, I'd be happy to not have to do that again for a while, for sure.
0: we saw you at yeah. where Adelaide and um playing with the midnight Oil and and elsewhere had you known about that how long did that uh how how long was that organized beforehand like did you had you known about it last year and the whole the whole thing or been approached
2: yeah I think um at the end of last year and then you know what I think there might have there might have been some maybe there was like that north shore outbreak or something so then everything sort of went quiet for a minute not you know because I'm such a pessimist i was like oh that will be right it was just a mistake they <laughs> didn't mean to email me <laughs> but um and then yeah i think early, early in the year we got the the official go-ahead but um yeah there, there were a few sort of weeks over summer where it w- we, we weren't sure yeah
0: because this is like a a new phase in your i hesitate to say career but if a musician can have a career these days but it's a, a kind of new phase for you isn't it you've come back you've got a brand new album out you toured with midnight oil playing with them and playing guitar and singing and it's kind of relaunched you in a way in a whole new sense hasn't it
2: yeah yeah and you know I've, I've I have personally gone through a lot of change in the last few years and I think I think that that everything that's happening in my life is a, is a byproduct of that change in myself and um you know I was just the, on the weekend I was just um I was kind of we were hanging out in the green room before the show and, you know, both of my managers were there and, and uh, my, my new band and um, and some other really great people. And I, I really took a minute to reflect on how, you know, how much has changed for me and how I'm now kind of surrounded by, I've got a great, um, an amazing management team, great agent, um, great publicist. I'm, I'm on Milk Records who are amazing for this album. And I just, you know, that, that is a, a direct result of really kind of sweeping my own side of the street, so to speak, and, and um, dealing, really dealing with some difficult stuff in my life and getting a lot healthier. So, yeah, I, I, it is sort of, you know, re, relaunching me. I mean, what was great also on the weekend is that there are a lot of, a lot of old fans and old mates there. Um, and then there was a lot of new faces and a lot of people who, who said to me at the merch desk that they'd just, you know, they'd come across these songs in the last or me in the last few months. And, we're really excited and that's great. You know, like I just, my thing has always been that I just want to feel like I'm moving forward and I do now. I feel like there's been a massive jump forward in just in my own sense of who I am and, and my my uh ability to communicate the things that I feel as an artist and uh in my music. And so that's, I think that's showing in, in my life, which is a wonderful feeling.
1: After the time overseas, do you, do you have any sense of when you might be able to get out of Australia? I guess it's, not, you know, at the moment, it's even an issue of whether you can come to New South wales but um Uh, do you do you sense light at the end of the tunnel or not
2: you know i just recently have um i i hadn't even considered you know i'm a canadian permanent resident so i could have i could have essentially gone back to canada at any point but i didn't i did it didn't feel like the right thing to do um and canada's Canada's had a difficult time as well it's not like things are easier there for artists or you know but yeah just in the last couple of weeks really I've I've started to um chat to my management again about going back to North America probably sort of late next year that's the plan obviously everything changes by the second at the moment but I I do I do feel like um it's it's slowly time to kind of get on with it Australia's vaccine rollout willing <laughs> I mean I'm actually fully mm. vaccinated now I'm very lucky but um I, yeah, I think it's, there's, I I think I, I I do want to go back and if nothing else, you know, I I do in order to maintain my residency over there, I need to spend a certain amount of time there. So I, you know, it is sort of, there's immigration issues um, on the line, but also there's a, you know, there's other avenues for me to explore in that part of the world as a musician. And I'm, I'm keen to do that. Yeah.
0: There are a lot of events that I would normally go to that are happening in the United States and I can't understand how they're going ahead with them because they still have hundreds of people dying a day and thousands being infected and I'm not sure even if I could get over there that I want to be going over there at this point of time.
2: Yeah I don't I don't know that I would go back tomorrow Uh, and that's why you know for me 12 months feels like a good yardstick from now at Mm. least to you know see where things are Yeah, I mean, it sounds. I've, you know, got friends in different parts of the states and in Canada, actually, and it really, it really is regional, a regional, you know, situation. It's very different in different parts of both of those countries. And, um, but you know, years a long time in a global pandemic, (laughs) and um, I, I, whatever, whatever the situation is, it's, it'll be different to what it is now. So I guess you know, we'll just make the call when, when it happens.
0: A week is a long time in a global pandemic. Absolutely, absolutely stuck at
2: home. Yeah, yeah, particularly in lockdown.
1: Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, talk, talk to people in Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, <laughs> I really. Who are now, yeah, now I'm experiencing, you know, obviously what everyone in Melbourne, um, you know, and uh, has gone through, and and you know, and, and of course, you know, people in Victoria went went through it for a much longer period than um, than what we've experienced, uh, you know, so far. But it certainly feels in in uh, in Sydney like it could be a protracted uh, period.
2: Yeah, I I, I uh, it it does it certainly feels like that. And I you know I have a lot of friends in Sydney um and it's just you know the the last lockdown that happened in in Melbourne I I found particularly difficult. I don't know about you Brian, but um I I found it much harder than the than the ones preceding it and so did a lot of my friends. And I think it's because you know, I've I've been in Sydney a few times um, in the last six months, and I, I in Sydney it felt even less like there was a pandemic on than in Melbourne. You know, in in those sort of early in this year, and um, I think it's that it's that real kind of um, whiplash of feeling like. Things were pretty normal and then, you know, being reminded in a really brutal way that, it, that things are not normal, you know, I think that, that that's particularly difficult. I think last year we Melbourne just kind of accepted what was going on, but it's, it is a lot harder when things are great and then suddenly they're not. So, yeah, it's, it sucks.
1: And I think that, um, you know, what I'm noticing is that that artists in particular are really worn down by constantly having to reschedule tours and shows. And every time you get there, you know, then something flares up, and 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 I think you know the, the cumulative effect of that is 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 really really tough. You know, for artists and obviously booking agents and managers and and everyone that's that's involved with with live music, just this this endless sense of we won't know until we actually walk on stage whether we're going to be able to do these dates.
2: Totally, and we you know we didn't know until. Um... Wednesday I mean the, the restrictions were eased on Wednesday morning in Victoria but we weren't 100% sure until kind of you know Thursday uh, Wednesday evening if if these shows on Friday and Saturday were going to go ahead and mm-hmm. it's I mean it's yeah it is it's it's a I view I use this analogy a lot but it's it's sort of like you know having to run up and down the boundary waiting to get a kick. You know, you you just you don't know if you're gonna be taken off the bench or not, but you have to stay warm in case you are, you know, and it's a it's a strange kind of balancing of energy that happens. And luckily we decided to hold on to these dates at 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 the Croxton, even though there was a really good chance they weren't going to happen. We had other ones, you know, penciled for later in August. But I think, you know, I spoke to my drummer Dave about I was like, do you think we should keep these dates and just hope that the restrictions lift or should we just like take the pressure off and do it in August. And he said, he just said, you know, you just got to be ready to play at any moment. And he's like, you know, pre or, or during the pandemic, that's, that's how we should look at it. And I, and I thought you're exactly right. You know, we, I want to play shows and even if it's a bit jarring and a bit weird to, to, to not know 48 hours out, you've just got to take the opportunities while they happen, don't you? Cause it, things just change from one second to the next. And I, it's, I, yeah, it does really make me appreciate how great, Performing is, or just being in a room full of people with that sort of energy, you know, it's a really special thing that I don't think I'll ever take for granted again.
0: Well, um, I've I heard a, a, an infectious diseases expert or an epidemiologist. I never knew there were so many of them. It's an entire industry. <laughs> If I was going to go into a career again, I think that'd be the one. There are thousands of them, it seems. But anyway. Well, there's, de-
2: there's definitely a lot of them on Twitter. They're everywhere. Ever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never even heard of them before. But anyway, I heard I heard one of them saying the other day that we're going to be stuck with this for years. It's not something that's going to go away. It's going to be like um, the flu, you know, how the, we have a flu season that's going to be with us for years, which is a pretty scary thing, isn't it? It, it
2: is scary, but I... I also think that you know if you think about if you think about where we were a year ago compared to where we are now and how you know you know you think humans are, are amazing at adapting I, I we're nowhere near out of the woods mm-hmm. yet as far as kind of living with it in a in a less um noxious way I guess but I do think I do think that once we can get everyone in the world basically vaccinated it it, it we it will it will get easier. That that's just the feeling that I get, and it's you know I mean what an extraordinary time. You know this is our this is our sort of world war, so to so to speak. You know um, my dad is my dad was born in 1944, and you know he sort of I mean he he went through you know the Vietnam War, and he didn't fight, but he was just a, a touch too old. But as far as you know, I was born in 1980, so I've had a very peaceful, relatively peaceful in Australia. Uh, experience you know and now it's like this is this is what happens this is it's i mean it's bizarre it's sometimes i still feel like it's a dream i still feel like i'm going to wake up and think geez that was that was an intense one
0: it's like a bad (laughs) science fiction film
2: yeah, it really is.
1: But i got to say, Liz, that that is the best analogy that I've heard so far. It's like running up and down the boundary line wondering if you're going to get
0: called to play. Yeah, <laughs> That's very exactly. I love it. And I you understand. can't
2: go down into the rooms and have a pie in case they, <laughs> you know... <laughs>
0: Hey, Liz, thanks for joining us congratulations on the album first time really feeling which people can get everywhere now and uh, it's been great to talk to you and, and all the best and we hope you do some more touring and uh, we hope the album goes really well it's going pretty well so far isn't it
2: it is it's yeah it's it's getting a very warm welcome we're stoked yet yeah. great thanks very much you too nice to talk to you yeah thanks thanks and thanks uh, thanks, thanks, Liz. thanks see ya see ya bye And
0: thanks to Liz Stringer for joining us on this Rhythms podcast. And thanks to Stuart Coop as well. You can get Liz's album, First Time Really Feeling, available right now. You can get it through Bandcamp or the usual outlets. And uh, next time Stuart and I get together, which will be in a week's time, we'll be talking to author Barry Davala, who's also very well known for his music writing and his travel writing. So I hope you can join us for that next time Stuart and I have a chat together we'll also be bringing you some podcasts coming up in the next week or so from vicar and linda and jacob dylan a whole lot more and you can check out the magazine at rhythms.com.au of course it's available in print as well if you would like to subscribe print and digital Just go to rhythms.com.au and you'll see the details there. We've also got a CD coming out, by the way. Music from Yarksville 2020. Some fantastic cover versions by local Melbourne artists. Look out for that. Thanks for joining me. I'll talk to you next time on the Rhythms Podcast.